Good morning, Chapel Hill. Happy Father's Day. Sorry that we're not sitting out on the grass. We were ready to go. We just uh, ran into some significant technical issues. Uh, a lot having to do with the fact that the, although it wasn't raining anymore, the wind came and it was raining in that area off the trees. All the water was coming off the trees and we had trouble with our sound equipment and all that kind of stuff. So didn't make it this morning, but where we need to just pretend, just pretend that we're outside. Okay, whatever that means to you, just pretend that you're outside. If you need to sit on the floor, go right ahead. Um, I'm going to ask um, <clears throat> Eli. Eli, if you wouldn't mind, just at random times throughout the service, just come up here without me knowing and just blow on my notes. Because that's what I usually go through when I'm preaching outside is the wind just grabs them and I go like this and carry on. But uh, so there, that would help me feel like it's outside if someone blows on my notes. All right. Going back to last week, um, we looked uh, for a couple weeks there at our, our vision, mission, and values as a church. We looked at the values of growing in Christ, living in love, and impacting the world. And, um, and we looked at the, the different impact that those things have on our church, who we are, um, how we're living those things out. We talked about living in the reality of eternity and what it means to live with eternity in mind and how that impacts the way that we do things on a daily basis here. Um, we talked about loving God. We talked about loving your neighbor. And we talked about that inside the church and outside the church. What does it mean to love people? And last Sunday, we uh, talked a little bit about um, the impact that we have on the world around us. And we talked about this triangle that I had up here on a board. And we talked about um, three different I words on that triangle. We talked about information, imitation, and innovation. And talked about this being a, a kind of a model for how we go and do outreach to the people around us. Using those three things, having those three things in mind. Um, in your bulletin, in your program, is a little bookmark that looks like this. Get that out if you haven't seen that yet and look at it right now. This relates to the information side of uh, our impact on the people around us because we focus on this a lot, not so much on the imitation and innovation. We'll work on those things even more. Um, this is a great little outline for presenting the gospel to somebody. And many of you have seen the Romans road before. Um, and interestingly enough, we're going into Romans, the book of Romans today. And so this uh, just kind of builds a bridge between last week and this week. This is a great little reference that you can keep with you that kind of walks through some verses in the book of Romans that lay out the gospel. Paul laid it out in his letter to the church in Rome. Um, and, and these things are in there and can be used. And there's a prayer there and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, uh, keep that with you. Tuck that away somewhere and, and, uh, and learn to use that when you're talking to people and presenting the gospel to them. It's a good way to point them back to the word of God and to let the word of God speak to them. So that's there in front of you. Um, but remember um, that we also talked about imitation and innovation. Let your life speak as loud, if not louder, than your words. Let yourself speak. Let them see Christ modeled for them. Be creative in the way that you connect with people, in the way that you build relationships with people. Um, in everyday life, opportunities are all around you. So we're starting a new series this morning, and it's called God on the Inside. 
And um, that's what you're going to see up there on the screen for the whole time, because um, I figured we were outside. It looked really positive that we were going to be outside, so I don't have anything more than the one slide. So there it is. God on the inside, and it's, he's on the inside with us today, and that's, there's all kinds of whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> this morning, we're going to look at a couple things that will set up our study. We are going to study Romans chapter 8 together. Not the whole book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. And um, what I want to do this morning is give you a little bit of context to help us all understand where did this letter come from, who was it written to, in what context was this letter written and received. Um, And we're going to talk about a little content. We've got to build up to Romans chapter 8. And so I want to do a little bit of that this morning. Um, So, let me give you a little bit of context. This was a letter that was written by Paul to the church in Rome. Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote it to the church in Rome. Understand some things about Paul. Paul was a Roman citizen. So he's an insider when he's writing to these people. He understands who he's talking to. He gets that. Paul had studied religion very thoroughly. He studied under a very famous rabbi named Gamaliel. That was Paul's rabbi, his mentor. Paul was imitating Gamaliel. He followed him. He wanted to be like him. He wanted to do everything that Gamaliel did. He learned everything from him, and he learned it very well. He was a very, very good student. Paul studied the law, and he fulfilled every tradition in the Jewish faith. He was very, very religious in that sense. He was very fervent. He immersed himself in the rituals of the Pharisees. Pharisees, of course, remember, um, they were an odd breed. And Jesus had his opinion of the Pharisees. And we get to those stories and we feel sometimes when we hear stories that involve the Pharisees like, oh yeah, there's a villain, there's a bad guy in this story. And it's the Pharisees and Jesus calls them out and he's very harsh with them. Keep that in mind as we study a letter written by a former Pharisee, Paul. He was there. He was absolutely immersed in that. And that is significant when we listen um, to what Paul has to say and what he's learned and how things have turned around for him. Paul followed the Pharisee ways very closely and with a lot of passion. And before he became a Christ follower, he was a persecutor of Christ followers. He was rough. He was a very tough individual. There's a story that I won't get into today about a man named Stephen Um, who was a follower of Jesus and was preaching the gospel and was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. And Paul was there standing by, nodding in approval over what was taking place to Stephen. Um, Paul was not a good man. Now, he's on a trip at this point to go and get some more Christ followers and throw them in prison. And then this happens. And this is the story of Paul's conversion. Of Jesus calling Paul. And I'll read it for you and then I want to talk about it because it's really interesting. There's some things in here that I'm pulling out for the first time. This comes from the book of Acts chapter 9. Just listen to this story. Acts 9, 3 through 19. This is the story of what happened to Paul on his way to Damascus. It says this. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what, what you are to do. 
The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. In a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, this is an incredible story, and many of you have heard this story even more than once. You heard it when you were a kid. There, this, is, this is the history that we know of Paul, who was known as Saul and became Paul. This is, this is how he met Jesus. There's a few things that just stood out to me in this story. Um, some just logistical things. Like this, Paul was traveling in the middle of the day. It wasn't at night. They didn't travel at night. But a bright light from heaven shone around him. So you can imagine how much brighter it was. If it was a sunny day, suddenly in the day, there's a bright light that's even brighter than anything that they could see. And Paul was struck blind. And I think we've got to grab onto this. This, this I think, is an incredibly significant part of the story for me now. He was struck blind. He lost his sight. And I'm going to speculate for just a minute on, on, on why he lost his sight I think that Jesus was saying to him in that very physical act, in what Paul had to go through by being blinded all of a sudden, he's saying, Saul, stop looking just to what you can see. And he took his sight away. And I love that he did that. I think there's significance in that. There's a lot that Jesus could have done to him at that point, right? The suffering could have happened like now. He could have paid for what he had done right then. And of all the strange things... He's struck blind. His sight's taken away. And I think it's very significant because Paul has to be taught to no longer see with just his eyes. And it was very characteristic of a pharisaical view of life. It had to do with what you see. It had to do with appearance, performance, those kinds of things. It had to do with religion. It had to do with the human side of things. And Jesus strikes Paul blind and I think he's just saying, stop looking with your eyes. Stop looking with your eyes. And I think this is a lesson that we can take away with us today is stop looking with our eyes. Stop looking to only what we can see. And see through faith, not just through sight. So I love that he did this. 
Paul loses his sight for three days. Significant? (laughs) For sure. Three days. Three days Paul's sight, Paul's perspective spends in the grave. He struck him blind and he kept him there for three days. And I think it matches up beautifully with what happened to Jesus. Ananias enters the story. God calls on Ananias to go to Saul. And I love Ananias and his honesty. You want me to do what? To whom? And, and yeah, he talks back to God, but wouldn't you? This is a guy, Saul's a guy they're running from, they're afraid of. They know what's going to happen. And God says, oh, go to that guy. And he's, do you know what you just said? And he was honest with him. And God says to Ananias, he says, go. He gives him the command again, go. Why? Because this guy, this messed up guy, Saul, this Pharisee, is a chosen instrument of mine. A chosen instrument of mine. And then Ananias, and I love how fast this turnaround is, Ananias goes to the house where Saul is, and how did he address him? Remember what he said? The first word out of his mouth. Brother. Brother Saul. Brother Saul. The man who's made an absolute mess, the man who's been persecuting Christ followers, throwing them in prison, having them killed, all these kinds of things, Ananias has the vision, has the compassion, has the eyes of Christ to say, Brother Saul. Right there. So I want to challenge all of us. I'm challenging myself, and I want to challenge you as well. How far does someone have to go before you cut them off? How far does somebody have to go before you write them off and say, forget it, they're worthless, I'm not investing in that person? How far does someone have to go before you give up on them? Before you decide that they don't need to be a part of your life? How far before do they have to go before we decide they're not coming back? They've gone too far. This boy Ananias thought that, I'm sure, right off the bat. Paul, are you kidding me? No way. But he didn't see with his physical eyes. Ananias saw with something greater. He saw the vision that God had and got on board with it. And right away refers to him as Brother Saul. Brother Saul. Paul became a follower of Jesus in the year A.D. 35. And he wrote the letter to the church in Rome in A.D. 57. So a little later in his life. Uh, Why Rome? Well, like other cities, Rome had followers of Jesus. There was a church there. And Paul wanted to guide that church in his position. Also, Paul had connections in Rome. If you look at Romans 16, the first 15 verses, Paul talks about the people that he knows in Rome. He was familiar with people there. In Rome, there were partners in ministry of Paul's. There were cellmates from his time in prison. There were the fruits of Paul's labor in the church in Rome. And so he wanted to write to them. Their obedience, their reputation had become legendary. They were good followers of Jesus. There was a lot going on, and Paul wanted to write to them. In fact, Paul wanted to go to Rome. He had not been to Rome. Previous to writing this letter, Paul had been on three massive missionary journeys. 
And you'll find those in the map in the back of your Bible. He had been on these massive missionary journeys, but he had not been to Rome. He was planning to go to Rome. And he writes them a letter instead. And for now, here in AD 57, Paul is at the home of a believer named Gaius. And we understand that Gaius was a fairly wealthy man. Paul is at his home. And try to picture an an older man, an older, worn-out, beat-up man, pacing the room and dictating this letter. And there was another named Tertius who was writing down what Paul wrote. And it's tough to picture it. I understand there are some, some characteristics of Paul that we know of. He's not a very attractive man. Um, I understand bald and a big nose. That's some of the stuff that we get about him um, just from historical documents and stuff. But here's Paul dictating this letter and Tertius is writing it down. And it's difficult for us to imagine Paul because Paul's been through a lot. And I, just as I was looking at this, I just, there was a little door that opened for me that I want to pursue a little more and, and see if I can understand this better. But Paul had been stoned. Paul had had all kinds of things happen to him. And there's, there are things that happen to a person when they get stoned, rocks thrown at them, hit in the head with rocks, all that kind of thing. And, and there, there are reports that talk about the fact that one of the side effects of what happened to Paul was that his hands curled up. He, he wasn't going to be able to write on his own. But here's Paul, and we can kind of picture him pacing the floor. Old guy just kind of shuffling along after, after all that he's been through, and he's dictating this letter, and it's being written down. And this is the book of Romans that we get. Paul writes a letter to the Christ followers in the city of Rome. There were over, at that time, there were over a million residents in Rome. It's a big, big city when Paul wrote that letter. Um, the city was very much like New York City today. It was this mosaic of ethnicities. And you had districts in Rome. And people from different backgrounds and from different nations from, from far and wide would, would you know, go to the Italian district and the German district and the Polish district and all those things, right? They had that. They had that sort of layout in Rome. And so Paul's writing to a, a very diverse city and a diverse church. <clears throat> the tension that we hear about in Rome um, hadn't come quite yet. We studied First Peter. Peter was writing to people who were scattering because of the persecution that was happening. It hadn't reached that intensity yet. Um, Nero had just taken over as the ruler. He was a teenager. He was really confused. There was a lot going on around him. He was paranoid, um, didn't know who was for him and against him, and was very suspicious of, of all the people around him. So he ended up having his mother executed because he didn't trust her. Um, crazy. But he hadn't snapped yet to the point where he just went nuts and persecuted Christians all over the place. This is just before that. Peter would write into that, uh, that environment, but Paul didn't. <clears throat> but this is the setting for Paul's letter. This is the setting for the book of Romans. And we're going to learn more about this context as we go. Like I said, we're going to study the eighth chapter of Paul's letter. Um, it was not written at that time with chapters in it. Paul didn't stop and then say, chapter 8, verse 1. And it was written down that way. That was all done later. That's not how he dictated the letter. But we're calling it chapter 8. We're, we're going to study that section of the letter. Um, it holds a great deal of interest for me. And I think a great deal of value for us as a church. And so I'm really excited to get into this chapter. Given the context that Paul was addressing, there are things that Paul needed to say in his letter. And it is a very significant letter. 
Um, think about the recipients of this letter in Rome. Like the other cities, this was a new church. These were young believers. Um, they needed guidance. They needed instruction. They needed teaching. They needed to hear from Paul. This church was made up of all kinds of backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, and all kinds of ethnicities, like I mentioned. The world had come to Rome. And so imagine the impact that Paul's message was going to have there. And, and this reminds me a little bit of, uh, of a guy named John Mayer that we have, not the singer, that we have come here and he's preached here before. Um, he's the head of City Vision, an organization that works in the Twin Cities, does an amazing, amazing work here. I just got a new report from him on the presence of Muslims in this city and what's happening amongst the Muslims here in this city. And it is fascinating and challenging. It's very eye-opening. He does this incredible work. Um, he's, uh, he's coming again this summer to preach here. I'm looking forward to that. Um, he talks about the reality that we have in this city where the world has come to us. And for us to impact people here, immigrants here, people from different parts of the world, for us to have an impact on them here is going to have an impact elsewhere. It's going out from here because they've come here. Same kind of scenario in Rome that, where Paul was writing this letter to. And there are a few objectives that I can see as I read Paul's letter. He needed to clarify the gospel for them, and so he did a lot of that, especially in the first seven chapters. He wanted to commend the church for their faith. They were getting it right, and he wanted them to stay firm in that faith. They were doing well. And he wanted to cast a vision for the future and invite them into the mission that God had given him. Call them to imitate him and to take the gospel to the rest of the world. And their belief system, what, what the church was going to build their foundation on doctrinally, theologically, was found in this letter in the book of Romans. And it's there for us as well. Our belief system is wrapped up in this letter. And it's worth studying. Their call to action was also given there, and our call to action is given there in the book of Romans. Over the past few months, um, i got to admit, I found myself getting a little dramatic about the book of Romans, <laughs> a little enthusiastic. Um, a few of you did suggest recently and over the past couple of years that, that we study the book of Romans together. Um, that was after doing First Peter and digging in and getting so much out of that. We should study Romans together. Folks, I'm 51 years old. I don't have that much time left in my life. If we get into the book of Romans, we will stay there. And that will be our, we'll just change our name, Romans Church or something like that. It's, that will be what we're known as for decades to come. So we're going to narrow it down. Let's start at least with Romans chapter 8. That's where I want to go. And I want to ask you to do a few, few things with me as we dig in. Chapel Hill, will you invite God to help you stop seeing only what is visible with our eyes? Will you do that through this study? Ask God to replace your sight with faith more and more and more. Will you ask God to grow your understanding and change your heart? Let him work on you through this. We all need this. We all need to grow through this. And will you surrender your life to God's spirit? That's what we're after in this study. Getting to the point where we are more and more surrendered to God's spirit. That's what brought the change in Paul. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We got to know what that is. We got to know who that is. And go on that journey. Don't study this. 
Here it is a letter from God through Paul to the early church in Rome and to us. So get your Bibles out if they're not out. This is where we're going to go. And if you do not have a Bible with you, we're back to this. If you did not bring a Bible, put your hand up, and our ushers will get you a Bible that you can use as we begin to dig into the book of Romans. And if you're receiving this Bible and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive and join with us as we dig into this. And just go ahead and open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to take a very brief tour through the first part of Romans. We need to have, have at least some understanding of what Paul writes in chapters 1 through 7 if we're going to study chapter 8. It sets it up. It's not possible to cover it all, but we'll take a pass at it this morning and we'll talk about some common themes. In chapter 1, Paul goes to work right away setting up the gospel. He talks about sin and God's wrath, about two things that we don't like to talk about, but two things that lead us to God's grace. So he goes there. In chapter 2, Paul continues talking about God's wrath and the law. It's not a very cheery subject, but it has to be taught. All Christ followers must acknowledge God's holiness and the price of our sin. And it's there in chapter 2. In chapter 3, Paul sums up this reality in verse 23, a familiar verse to us. In Romans 3.23, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then in verses 24 and 25, Paul delivers hope and clarity. He reveals something that he's going to revisit throughout the letter. He says this, and he carries on with what he just said, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Vocabulary. Two words that we need to, de- to define so we, to, make, to make sure we're on the same page. Justification and propitiation. Justification means this, and it's going to come up again and again in Romans. To be justified means that God has declared us free from guilt and acceptable to him. He said we're free from our guilt and we're acceptable to him. That's justification. Propitiation has to do with Jesus being an adequate payment for our sin. Jesus was the payment for our sin. He was the propitiation for us, for our sin. There's something that Paul opens up at this point that was so crucial to his readers. Um, Many of the recipients of Paul's letter were Jews that had become followers of Jesus. Many more had been influenced by Jewish law and the way they viewed things, things like justification. Many of them and many religious people today believe that we are justified, that we're set free and made acceptable by what we do, by our acts, by our actions. Paul reminds them that they were justified by faith, not by what they did, not by works. Justification was a gift and it was received through faith. And what I'm going to do is, um, I thought I'd go through a little bit more of this today, but I'll, I'll wait. I'll do it next week. Um, I'll go through a bunch more of how this is set up, how Paul sets up chapter 8. Um, we're going to have a, a great worship time here together for a little while, and I want to get to that. Um, what I want to do is, is just end for now with Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25. So go to Romans seven, fourteen. This is such an encouraging way for Paul to set up what he says at the very beginning of Romans chapter 8. So here's how I want to end it. Romans 7, 14 through 25. This is what Paul writes. 
For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. We're all there. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Remember, this is Paul writing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my flesh, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my flesh. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Church, can you relate to Paul? Remember, this is the guy we put up on the pedestal. This is St. Paul. And this is one of the most hopeful things that he's written. Because he suffers, he, he struggles with the same things we do. And here he points to God's grace, but he, he puts us in such a realistic picture. Our flesh is waging war against us. Our, our flesh wants to sin. We don't want to do it in our heart, in our, in our mind, in, in our relationship with God. We don't want to, but we do. Because our flesh is there. And so the first words of Romans chapter 8 had to be as encouraging for him as they were for his readers. And they are so encouraging for me, and I know they are for you, because this is what it says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One, just give me an amen. Come on. (laughs) We're not condemned, church. We're not condemned. Even for the love of sin that's still in our flesh, we are not condemned. And I can't wait to dig into this chapter with you. Because Paul writes about the one who is in us. He writes about the work of the Holy Spirit who filled him. God came inside Paul and went to work on him. Not to condemn him, not to judge him and push him down and punish him. For many better reasons that we will explore together. But at the top of this chapter, Paul says, Church, there's no condemnation for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why I'm excited to get into this together. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward now. We pray with me as I do.
Father, we need the hope that Paul offers. We need to know this. We need to know that that the struggle that we're going through, the battle that we're fighting is very real. It's right there. We need to know that, that you didn't put this letter in front of us as something distant that we needed to try to achieve. We needed to to match this incredible standard. You put it in front of us because Paul is a human and wrestled with the same things we do. And I thank you for the encouragement that we'll find there. God, will you teach us to see with faith, not with our eyes? Will you teach us to see what you see, to see that you don't give up on us, you don't give up on anyone. None of us has gone too far God, will you teach us who you are through your Holy Spirit and guide us through this amazing chapter. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for the word that you've put in front of us, for the freedom to study, to grow, to learn together. Bless us as a church through this, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.